Can we just praise Jesus one more time? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for what you have begun on the very last Sunday of this year, 2020. Oh, Lord, we worship you. God, I pray that our spirits would just be in a posture to receive from you. God, clear away all of the baggage. Clear away all of the distractions. Clear away all of the insecurities, I pray. And help us today to finish 2020 as you want us to. So I thank you. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Well, this morning, I just have uh, a few things that I am excited to be doing that I really felt the Lord leading me to lead you, the church, in. Uh, the first is New Year's Day. At 1 o'clock sharp, we're going to be putting on live stream on our Facebook page. Um, we're also going to open up a YouTube page and have it archived there. Uh, but right on Facebook, it's going to be an opportunity for you to experience vision for 2021. Something that I felt the Lord lay on my heart that I shared with our board that now we as a community, it's my desire that we share in and we believe God for in the year 2021. So at one o'clock sharp, if you're not working on New Year's Day, I want to invite you to log on. Uh, it's not going to be an in-person thing. It's just an online thing. Um, and we're going to share that vision for 2021. <coughs> then on the third, just a few days later, on that first Sunday, we're going to be celebrating first Sunday. That very first Sunday of 2021 together as a family. And we're going to re-highlight some of the things that are shared uh, on that online opportunity uh, of that vision. So if you're not able to see it at any point, we'll highlight it in person that Sunday. Um, but what we're also going to do is we're going to participate in communion together as it is the first Sunday of the month. And then we're just going to give you a gift on your way out that will commemorate that first Sunday of 2021 that will hopefully be a reminder for you moving forward throughout the entirety of the year the vision that I believe God has for us to take hold of and to walk in throughout the entirety of that year. Um, and then the last thing, so we have New Year's Day, which is the first. We have that first Sunday, which is the third. And then immediately following that Sunday throughout the duration of that week, that which would be technically the fourth, that Monday, all the way up to Saturday, which is the ninth, we're going to have a week of prayer and fasting to usher in the new year together as a body of believers, to believe God, to completely, in a sense, baptize and anoint the entirety of 2021 in the presence and the power of God. And here's how we're going to do it. Uh, that Monday to that Friday, all of those business days, weekdays, at 7 o'clock right here, we're going to have prayer. 
at 7 o'clock, we're going to have prayer. There's no time limit. It might go half an hour. It might go two hours. I don't know. It's open for everyone. Um, and specifically when it comes to fasting throughout that week, uh, you can fast anything. I'd always encourage food, if capable, uh, because that's a necessity. And the importance of fasting is that we say, God, this is a necessity of my life that I am willing to admit, you know what? I need to depend on you. Now, listen, I know that a lot of us might have underlying health issues, so it can be anything. You don't have to fast the entirety of food. Maybe give up sweets, all right? You don't really need sweets, but maybe give that up. Maybe go on a liquid diet. And if you really can't do food, uh, while that would be the first choice, you can move to something else. It could be hobbies. It could be thing, maybe social media is something you can fast. But we'd encourage you to fast through that week with us. But again, we're going to be meeting here. Nothing is going to be online for that. It's just going to be in-house prayer, 7 o'clock, so that we can really usher in 2021 to God. Now, let me just, uh, I'll keep giving reminders about it. It'll be Monday to Friday that we meet here. So not that Sunday night and not that Saturday night. It's all week, which means pray and fast at home. But here in this house, 4th through the, I think it's 8th on the calendar, Monday to Friday, we will be praying and fasting. So if you're online and you want an opportunity to come and to pray, we're going to have needs that we pray for. Uh, everything that you can think of, we're just, we're going to give it to God in the new year. I'm excited for this church. I'm excited for all that God's going to do. Well, I'm especially excited because I get to share one more message with you for the year 2020. It's been a year. It's been a year. Yesterday, my uh, wife and I had so much fun with her family coming and visiting us, and uh, we stayed within the governmental regulations. I don't know, whatever it is. Um, not that I care that much. Yeah, I said that, but we were with practicing within the law. Um, and we had some good Christmas day after fun. And uh, my wife's family really likes to play board games, always have. And so we played a board game. Um, and let me just tell you, I'm a very competitive person. Our board members know that. Um, and there are just some aspects of certain competitive games that drive me insane. Board games are one of them. You can't get physical to take out your frustration. I mean, I don't know, maybe you can. I've never tried it before. Um, but let me be more specific. When it comes to card games, I prefer those of any kind because I prefer the luck of the draw. I feel like it's, it's more fair in a sense. When it comes to playing with dice, those things are satanic. Can I tell you that? It drives me insane. The game that we were playing, let me just tell you. No. I'm not going to tell you what the game is. It doesn't matter. It's just I'm not going to tell you what the game is. It, it, it's, a, it's a game that half of you might not even know. Um, it requires the luck of rolling dice. And there are a bunch of different numbers that, depending on where you're situated, might work in your favor and might not. But the worst number of all that you can roll in this game is a seven. It's, it's a seven. It's the worst. It hurts everybody, especially the one who rolled it. No. No, it just hurts everybody. It actually is a little bit help, more helpful if you rolled it. You get one perfect. But let me tell you something. God in his infinite wisdom decided that he would teach me patience 
and mercy and grace and the ability to control my out-of-control angry emotions in competition through rolling dice. It hasn't worked yet. I haven't learned a thing. I'm angry today because I can't win at this dumb game. <laughs> because without fail, somebody always rolls a seven. And nobody ever rolls the numbers that I need. It was just funny. If you could have been a fly on the wall in the room yesterday, it was ridiculous. I was sour. I was salty towards my wife last night. She was all happy after her parents left. Like, oh, you all happy? Coming to love me? I was like, don't kiss me. I want to kiss you. You won the game. I don't care. Love you tomorrow. I haven't learned yet. The question in my mind that I wanted to shout as I threw the board game off the table was, will this ever end? Will the unfairness, the unbelievably unlucky nature streak of rolling of the dice that I have ever end? More specifically, will this game ever end? Because I don't want to look like a sore loser and just say, oh, get it over with. You got to pretend, you know, you got to put on the face of like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, you're winning. It doesn't bother me one bit. But inside you're dying. And my wife, oh, I, I, I love you now for this. But oh, my goodness, she knows this. She tries to be sweet when she's beating the pants off of you. It's like, it's okay. Oh, look at you did good. And she means it sincerely, but it's like, don't you patronize anybody at this table. You're just happy because you're winning. She doesn't mean it that way. She's not that ruthless. And you just, I, I'm sitting there thinking, will this ever end? Um, 2020 has been a year that I bet a lot of us have asked that question. Will this ever end? Just one thing after another, after another, after another. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of tired of talking about this. I am. I I've opened a lot of sermons over the last few months in this type of way, but I thought it was necessary and essential for us to end it here in the book of Isaiah. But when we ask that question, will this ever end? I'm sure a lot of things are going through our minds right now. Economic turmoil. God, is this ever going to end? You know, Lord, I'm, I'm faithful, but how come I still haven't gotten a call back from those places that I've applied to? God, how come I keep getting my hours cut? How come I'm getting so much more of a burden put on me and I'm not getting paid more even though they let all those people go? Like, is this ever going to end? God, is this stress that seems to have been strung along all the way since March, is it ever going to be alleviated? Am I going to be able to just wake up finally and take a deep breath and just feel like, okay, finally, I can breathe again? Is the anxiety ever going to stop crushing me? Lord, am I ever going to have time again to be with my family? Am I ever going to have time to just enjoy life right now? Are things ever going to slow down? God, are my self-destructive tendencies ever going to stop? I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed, but every time I get close to someone, every time I allow someone to get close to me, I do something or something happens that just seems to completely 
destroy every good relationship that I have? Am I ever going to stop running my mouth? Am I ever going to stop going back to the, the things that I used to do? Lord, are my addictions ever going to be broken? I've been praying and I've been trying, but am I ever going to be delivered from this? There's a lot that we can stop and think about with ease that we wish would just end already. What I hope all of us will see today from God's word in the book of Isaiah is how God both understands our problems and is able to help us move beyond those problems. Or maybe another way that you can think about problems is with this word, limitations. Now we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. Now just broadly helping us to get a grasp on the significance of the word that we're going to read today. The book of Isaiah's context was written to a people who was already facing enslavement, captivity. See, they had been independent, they had been a sovereign nation, but because of sin and God constantly warning them, you need to repent, you need to stop doing what you're doing. And he did it for generations. It's not like they had a year to work it out. They had decades to work it out, but they kept saying, no, I'm good. I'm good. Without saying that, they were saying, no, God, we're going to, we're going to, do a little bit of your way, and then we're going to do the rest of the world's way because we like it. And he said, okay, but I've warned you. And now it comes to a point of, of no return, a point of impasse for the nation. And they're about to be in captivity to the Assyrian Empire. And this was just a bad deal. Nobody would want that. Think about us in the nation of America being invaded. We don't ever think about that because we're just so secure and settled and comfortable. But at any point, there could be a, another nation in the world that just decides we want to invade or we want to use nuclear warfare to stop this nation. There's a lot of ways that they can come in and overtake us. And I'm, I'm not here to talk about warfare and be afraid as American citizens. I'm just saying it's a reality that we don't think about that the Israelites were facing. And through Isaiah's lifetime, he experienced that and potentially experienced not just one but two captivities, two power changes. See, the Assyrians overtook the whole world of Palestine, which the Israelite nation was a part of. That was bad enough. And you're just thinking, okay, eventually somebody's going to come and save us. You know, I think about World War II, and I think about, you know, you have Germany going and taking over places like Switzerland and France and, 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 and all of those places there, Poland. But then you had America, you didn't have just America, you had other nations fighting, that came in, stopped the Germans, and gave liberty. That's not what happened here. You have the Assyrians who decimated through warfare, through waiting them out and locking them in behind their walls so that they got to the point of starvation where they ate their own babies. That, that's what we know, we read from scripture, that's how bad it got. All right, and then they lead them off in captivity. They take them from their homeland and bring them all throughout, scattered throughout the entire Syrian empire. And then another nation rises to power, the Babylonians. And the Babylonians didn't rise to power so that they could be, you know, good, helpful neighbors to the Israelites. They just wanted to take what the Assyrians had and gain more. So the Israelites 
went under another power shift and were still in captivity, still enslaved. But we know through the Old Testament that God continued to work like in Nehemiah, that we went through a month in its entirety through that book. God still worked through his people. But here in Isaiah, in light of that context of will this captivity ever end, God has words of hope for his people. So in Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27, we read this. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. So here in this verse, we see the prophet Isaiah being used as the mouthpiece of God to speak to the Israelites. Almost, it might not have been in a setting like this, but in an oratory form, he might have been out on the streets, he might have been in in local houses, gatherings, big marketplace areas where there were a number of Jews, and was kind of in a sense preaching or proclaiming the word of God. And the word of God was this, hey my people, my brothers and my sisters, house of Jacob, house of Israel, those were just terms to refer to the entirety of the nation. Why are you going around objecting that God is being unfair? My way is hidden from the Lord. God. The word complaining here is, listen to me, literally, it's a continuous activity. It's a constant thing. So imagine every time you are around your people, the people of God, and it's just complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining. God doesn't care. God doesn't know what it's like. If he was God, he would do this. If my brothers and sisters in Christ understood the turmoil that I was going through, they would wise up and they would come beside me and they would help in this way and this way and this way. It just never ends. Now, here's the specifics of their never-ending complaining. It says, first of all, my way is hidden from the Lord. So let me make this point. Sometimes it feels like God doesn't understand. That's kind of the essence of what we see right here happening through the complaining of the Israelites, which I can sympathize with. Sometimes I sit in prayer and I'm thinking, God, don't you understand what's going on right now? How come you still haven't fill in the blank? I can sympathize with this. Okay, but then the second thing that they're doing is my cause is disregarded by my God. Disregarded, or in other translations, is simply this, not concerned. Sometimes it feels like God doesn't care. Or at least that's what we might impose upon him. Because that's what the Israelites are saying here. He's not concerned about me. It's maybe not so much that he's not aware. It's that he knows and he doesn't care. Man, you will be in a dark place. You will be in a dark place if you find yourself here. To be fair, I think all of us have at some point. But if you remain there, there's no hope. So Isaiah opens with this in verse 27. He's calling them out for what they're doing currently. Verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding, no one 
can fathom. All right, so right here, Isaiah just listed a number of the attributes of God. Let's talk about them for a second. God's power is not limited by our limited perception of who he is. So let's, let's talk about that power for a second, because we might find ourselves imposing upon God limitations that aren't even worthy to be mentioned next to his name. Isaiah says, first of all, you're dealing with an eternal God. Which means, listen, he's unchanging. This is what John writes about Jesus as the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you might find yourself being tempted to think that God is an individual on our own level who is, let me just say it this way, he's kind of fickle. He's easily given to change. You know, you can't depend on him to love you when you most need him. You might be tempted to think he's not gracious enough to help me out of this season of brokenness that I'm in. He can't do that. There's no way nobody on earth could do that. Exactly. Nobody on earth can do that. But God has and continually will do it. So he's unchanging. Second attribute that we see speaks to his power as creator. He's the cause of the universe, which kind of really means this. All the glory is his. Everything that we are, everything that we see and can experience that is good has been created by God, which means it's a reflection of his majesty. And there is a significant weight that is present, that is inherent within that glory that we're able to experience that shines upon us every day. When I look at my wife and when she looks at me, that's the glory of God right there. It's his handiwork, his creation. When you walk outside and you see nature, you see trees, you see grass, you see snow, even if you don't like snow, speaking to Adrian right now, you got to admit that's the glory of God. When you experience emotional characteristics such as love, such as joy, such as peace, that science literally cannot prove. Psychology can explain really the manifestations and the fleshed out characteristics and maybe what led to love, but to be able to scientifically prove how does love truly come about in my life how does my body produce love it's not like sweat but i can experience it i can feel it it's an attribute of god the essence of which has been given to us in creation that we can experience the glory of god is all around us the last characteristic explained here that i really love is this idea that he does not get tired or weary Listen to me. Modern translation of this that we can understand it as is this. His plans are never delayed. Or let me say it more specifically. His plans are never postponed because he needed to take a break. Or because he didn't fully think this out before he prescribed it for his creation. God didn't mess up during the blueprint phase of drawing up the plans and have to backtrack and say, hold on, creation. I screwed up one of my particulars. 
right here, Isaiah is saying you need to understand every aspect of what you are experiencing is not because God made a mistake. He is still in control and he's not going to tire out along the journey to stop and say, all right, we need to regroup. Here's where I think, and I've talked about this a lot, but I think we need to revisit it. Insecurity sets in because insecurity leads us to ascribe personal limitations to others. Think about it. I'm not good at this. I'm not talented enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. I, you know, I don't sing well enough. I'm not good enough at that. Before. I don't write well enough. I don't speak well enough. Name it. All of us probably have experienced an insecurity of some sort. I don't like the way others look at me because of what I've been through. They know my business. Therefore, I'm just going to, you know, anything can kind of fill into that category of insecurity. Here's where it becomes a problem, especially in our relationship with God. If we are so prone to living in insecurity, which honestly, our lives that we live with others are eventually going to transcend in our relationship with God. That's why God is all about living on earth and establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven amongst his creation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So much of how God wants us to live for him is practiced and proven through the way that we live amongst others. So listen, if we are constantly living in insecurity, which is practiced through our interactions with others, if you're by yourself on an island, I promise you there's very little you're going to be insecure about. I promise you, because you have nothing to worry about. I'm sure insecurity would find a way somehow, but a lot of the majority of what you say, I don't look good enough. Who cares? Nobody's around. I can walk around however I feel like on this island. Nobody sees. You know what I'm saying? But when we constantly allow that insecurity to lead our lives, it will inevitably find its way into our relationships with God. just doesn't understand me well enough he doesn't love me the way that i need to be loved or she doesn't help me the way that i need to be helped they just don't understand how i'm feeling about this they didn't they didn't go what i went through as a child they didn't see the way that i grew up they didn't see the betrayal and the hurt that i experienced that will inevitably seep into your relationship with god and eventually you're going to start to speak to God in a like way. God, I just don't get it. And you might not even say that, but your actions are indicative that that's the condition of your heart. Why am I going to go to church? Because God doesn't understand me. Those people don't understand me. They're just a bunch of crazy Jesus people. They don't get it. That's the problem with insecurity. Just because... We're limited by certain realities. Doesn't mean that God is. Verses 29 through 30. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. Let's talk about some of these words here. Specifically, you see the word tired in verses 29 and 30. 
or you see the word weary. I'm sorry, I have, I study for multiple translations, and the word weary in verse 29 and the word weak in verse 29, both can also be translated as tired. But then in verse 30, even the youths grow, there it is, tired and weary. Technically, 29 and 30, they have different meanings for the words tired or weary. Let me explain those to you for a second. First, in verse 29, the word tired here is indicative of a lack of inner resource. In other words, I don't have the ability, I don't have the strength to make this happen. I don't have the willpower to go any further. God, I am so broken from this last year. I am so broken from life that has just culminated in this year. Things haven't been going in my favor for a long time. God, I just want to give up. He gives strength to those of you that are weary. And he increases the power of the weak of heart. Verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary. This has more of a literal physical translation here. With the example given of the epitome of health. People young of age. There's always uh, uh, a, a back and forth, which is so fun that I enjoy with probably a few here in this church, uh, but I would say definitely with my brother Bill, who we know God has brought him through a lot over these last few months and still has more that we're going to believe him to bring him through. But it's so funny because when Bill's talking about his bad back, I'm over here talking about my bad back. And it's just funny because like, what are you talking about? You're, 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 there's a huge age of, you're, you're comparatively a youth compared. So I want to argue with this text and be like, no, youth, Youth aren't as healthy as you're making them out to be. I'm, I'm, the, I'm a witness of that. But point is still taken. If you compare me to Bill, Bill, I love you. This isn't, this isn't downplaying you, but there, there's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference in the severity of physical problems that every human being faces as age progresses. So here... The illustration is given us that even youths grow tired and weary. Even when we're at our best, even when everything is working out for us, I don't need any operations. I don't need any procedures. I don't need any medication. I don't need any therapy. I don't even need any more exercising or eating right because I do it all. And I wish we all could say amen to that. But Isaiah is here saying even in the perfect epitomized version of an ideal human being with the utmost of strength, life gets hard. And it's going to knock you down. And you're going to wake up one day not feeling invincible the way that you did before. You're going to wake up one day realizing what happened. The amount of individuals my age that I've been talking about with Pastor Chase and my wife recently that are that are that are dying from cancer. I, I can't even say that there are a number that are dealing with cancer and some that I know that have died from cancer that are my age and younger. I, I never heard of that. And yet it happens. And you're inevitably faced with the frailty of 
who you are as a finite being, someone who is not like God eternal, who is not unchanging. You know what God says? What do you guys say in 31? So let me just say three things that we need to do. When dealing with being willing here, this is where we got to be honest with ourselves. We need to be willing to address our limitations. This is something that I think we all struggle with because either we're too prideful to admit that we have problems or limitations or we just we don't stop to think about it for a second. So let's let, let me say this first. We need to recognize our limitations. Second. We need to avoid comparing our limitations to someone else's. This is where it gets really problematic because now we're trying to go tit for tat and say, you don't know what I'm going through. Do you understand what they're going through? And now we're not even allowing God into the equation because we're too busy trying to just throw throw things at each other saying, you don't know what I, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm feeling. Finally, we need to recognize that God will fill in the margins of our limitations. So there are two things that we, well, first we need to recognize, we need to recognize those limitations. Second, we need to stop comparing those limitations. And then finally, we need to recognize God has the ability and the power to fill in the gaps that I just can't that are keeping me from being able to overcome these problems, these limitations. Here's the proof. Here's what Isaiah says in verse 31. So there are those who are weary, who lack that inner willpower to just keep going on. There are those who are physical. They got the will, but they don't have the physical capabilities of continuing to live life the way that they want to. Yes, that's a reality, but verse 31. But those who hope, you need to underline that word, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Remember the context of this entire book. This is being proclaimed to a group of individuals who have been living and will continue to live in captivity. Nothing's working out for them. They don't live in a society like we get to experience right now. Even with all of the mess that we still have. Doesn't even compare to what they're living in. And now. Isaiah just said to them. Those that hope. Those that hope. Let me break down that word for you. Another translation. That has equal meaning is wait or ready for this rest hope wait and rest they're all synonymous within this context so when Isaiah is saying to hope hope yes I'm expectant for this is practiced through a posture of Not, all right, I'm going to go. No. Wait. 
but I have the answer. doesn't mean quitting your job and not working. This means be faithful, live as God intended you to live, and when the inevitable problems of this world that you do not have the power to overcome the limitations that it has set before you come, rather than trying to, of your own ability that you know you don't have to fix and overcome this, God says, wait. Waiting on the Lord means expectation, patience, and trust. God, I don't know how you're going to, but I am nonetheless going to believe that you will, and I'm expecting you to do it. And in that expectation, I'm just going to be patient. Trust you. Waiting on the Lord, listen to me, endows a Christian with divine characteristics. Now I'm sounding hokey, but let me tell you what I'm talking about. A willingness to wait means that you will never be without. Here's why. The Lord just spoke through Isaiah and says that those that wait, Hope and rest in me will find renewed strength. Will be literally here, it has the idea of putting on, clo- being clothed with strength. That listen, not that you have of your own ability, that literally God cloak upon you, that he takes from himself and he imparts to you. They will soar on wings like eagles. Listen to me. So think about the illustration that's given here. You're faced with your problem, and it's like this bulwark, this wall that is impenetrable, that you can't climb over, that you can't walk around, and you can't break through. And you have no perspective because this is what is in front of you and engulfs every bit of your focus. This impenetrable, impassable, daunting force. God says... Wait on me, and I am going to give you the ability to rise above it so that you can see how insignificant it is once I have empowered you to overcome it. In and of yourself, it will always be something that's impossible to overcome. But if you wait on me, you will rise up on wings like eagles, and that which was, again, overwhelming will now become insignificant. But he doesn't stop there. He says they will run but not grow weary. Think about what Paul says, that we are all running this race, that he wants to finish strong, that he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's kind of like this marathon that we're just going and we're running through and we get tired, we get weary. Just like he said here of the youths, even the best of us along this marathon in this race, we get weary, but they will not grow weary in other words what god is literally saying here is when you are broken physically broken i'm going to give you the strength it might not be the way that you're expecting it 
but I'm going to give you the strength to keep living every day, day after day, when you don't want to go back and keep working that job that you hate. But God, he's got a plan for you to work that job because he wants to use you to be salt and light in that workplace. That you think, God, why do you have me here? He's got you there for a reason. And when the limitation comes up, it's not necessarily willpower. It's, I, I can't feel my feet. God, I can't be doing this anymore. My back, my legs, my problems. He's going to give you strength because he's got a plan for you right where you're at. But then finally, I love this last one. He says they will walk. Those that wait upon the Lord will walk but not be faint. Think once again about the life that we live. It's hard. And maybe sometimes along that marathon, we're no longer jogging. We're strolling. And we're just walking. We need to catch our breath. Or it's a season that God is saying, take a stroll. Don't sprint. And during that season, we might be tempted to pray, God, deliver us. God, remove me from the adversity that I'm in. But here, we're taught that God isn't necessarily going to remove you. He's going to empower you to walk through it. Because when life slows down, then it gets really hard. I know what this for me. When I want to go a million miles a second, when I want that microwave instant life that I'm believing God for, and he says, no, I'm going to give you a slow cooker right now. You're going to throw that thing in the crock pot. You just, you need to have strength to walk through it right now. You might not have the willpower, but I'm going to give you all of the strength that you need to continue to live for me in this walk. This is kind of what I want to say to wrap up our message. The minute we stop waiting or hoping, as Isaiah just commanded us to, is the minute we've misplaced the gospel. We've misplaced it. We've lost it. Because when we stop waiting, hoping in the Lord, now we've once again taken our destiny into our own hands. We all have free will to make the choices, but God desires that our choices would be to place our trust and our faith and our hope in him. Isaiah's theme, if you read this book, which I encourage you to do, it's a long book in the Old Testament. It's all about faith. You see, faith, faith. Faith, 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 all throughout it. When you're faced with the inevitable life question, will this ever end? Will I ever overcome these limitations? Will these problems ever stop? God, when is it going to end? The theme throughout Isaiah is faith in God, which here we see is practiced through waiting, which is hope and rest in God so that he can do what he's wanted to do the whole time. But when we don't do that and we decide to take this posture and go into this posture, then the gospel is no longer prevalently dominating our lives. It's no longer Jesus you were. It's God, you're here in the car, but you're in the back seat right now. Let me take the wheel for a minute. God's like, no, it's not going to work out. Okay, fine. I'll take 
missed a turn. <laughs> There's no road that way, and yet you're turning that way anyway. What are you doing? I'm here. You, you want me to take over? And this is where I truly believe it comes back to that idea of insecurity because here's what Hebrews 4.15 says that I love to quote, and I say it all the time. For we do not have a high priest who is unable. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Weak, tired, weak, tired, weak, tired that we just read. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet was without sin. So God, who is beyond our limitations, is so profoundly amazing that he is able to say, and yet I get your limitations, not just because I created you, but because I took upon myself your limitations. And that is the gospel. That is Jesus Christ saying, I know what you walked through. I know the pain that you felt. In fact, I've probably felt more pain than you have felt. But I didn't to prove to you. I didn't to one-up you. I did it to give you. So we're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. But let me just put this out there. We're not always faithful. We're not. I know I'm not, God. And Lord, would you forgive me for that? But church, you want to know once again what the hope of the gospel is? You want to know it? 2 Timothy 2.13. What happens when you're not faithful? Ready? If we're faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. He cannot break the perfection of who he is. It's not in his nature. When we say that God is all loving, it's not that he's not going to allow a time for penance. It's not that just like we see in the lives of the Israelites that he's not going to allow hardship to come because they weren't listening to all of his soft, gentle proddings to come back and to repent and to turn from their wicked ways. Like, fine, I've given you a lot of time. Now you're going to have to walk through some stuff but always with the intention of bringing you right back because I love you and I desire that you would be transformed in this season to come to a place of waiting upon the Lord, of resting in the Lord, of having your hope being in God and God alone. And even in that journey, if you continue to stumble, you continue to at points lose faith just like Peter did when he was encountered with, are you one of his followers? Just like Thomas did when he was presented with the fact of a risen Savior saying, it cannot be. Just like those individuals that we see in Scripture had moments where they lapsed in their faith, we're going to too. But the beauty of it is that Jesus remains faithful. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Thomas, come here. Come here. You see the side? You see the hole in my hands? Touch him. Touch him. I'm alive, Thomas. Stop your unbelief. Not, 
He's got no part in this family anymore because he didn't believe initially. Saying, no, 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 let me show you. Now stop your unbelief. Would you stand with me in this place today? My hope, my hope today is exactly what we just read here. That we would wait, adopt this posture, wait on him, rest in him, trust him. Jesus. God, I'm believing you for 2021. I'm trusting you for 2021, but I don't want to leave 2020 unfinished. I don't want to leave 2020 as a blot, as a stain of my past. God, I might have been unfaithful in 2020, but I know that you have remained faithful throughout all of it. I know that I might be tempted to enter into 2021 with the reality that 2021 wipes the slate clean. It doesn't. You do. And you don't need to be bound by a change of year to do so. Right here, right now, you have the power to help us start anew so that we would have renewed strength right here, right now to live moving forward. For you, in you, with you. God, help us to be faithful. Help us pick us up when we stumble, when we lapse in that faith. Lord, I pray that we would not remain in a place where we subject you to the limitations that we face as if you were incapable of overcoming them because you did. You proved that to us and you did it for us. This pain will end. These problems will cease. The anxiety will be wiped away. The depression is going to be lifted. The finances are going to be tended to. Wait. Wait. Lord, I wait upon you today. We wait upon you today as a community and as a body of believers. Lord, I pray that you would prepare us. We have a few more days left of 2020. I pray that we would make the most of them by living them for you. And over these next few days, waiting, hoping, trusting, resting in you and in your power. Because only you have the ability to help us to overcome. I pray that we would see fulfilled our hope in waiting. That we, in the face of our problems that seem to never end, we will have renewed strength. We will mount up on wings like eagles. We will run but not grow weary. We will walk but not be faint. God, I thank you. God, I trust you. Lord, I pray that you would keep us, 
as we leave here today. Give strength to our bodies and give hope to our spirits, I pray. We live for you. We're going to be salt and light as we live for you. And in Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, come on, give a praise. Last year of 2020. Well, hey, God bless you. Enjoy your week and uh, New Year's Day, 1 o'clock. And then next Sunday, we'll see you.